have we got a show for you? I've no idea what we'll do. Welcome, my friends, to this charming tableau. Have we got a show for you? Hello, everybody. Welcome to the very first episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. My name is Strangely. I am your host and also the Strangely on this podcast. As I record this, it is Thursday, May the 2nd. I have seen Avengers Endgame, and I liked it. There. I've commented on something in the current zeitgeist. Now let us speak of it no more. Many of the segments on this podcast are written to word counts. This keeps me from getting too lost in the weeds as I pontificate on various subjects. But it also gives me an attainable goal each week. So let's crack on, shall we? My interest in stage magic is one of the disparate interests that made me want to start this podcast in the first place. The reasons I love it so much can be delved into later. But for now, here's something about a magic-adjacent book I just read. Strangely recommends, in 200 words or less, including these 11. Who? Who imposed this rule? Wait, does this aside count? I... Fiddlesticks! Fooling Houdini by Alex Stone. After failing hard at the World Olympics of Magic, Alex Stone set out to practice harder and maybe return a contender. Though framed as almost a comeback drama, this book is anything but. I don't quite agree with all of Alex's ruminations on the art form, but his prose is crisp and charming. His delightful origin story hooked me at once, painting a vivid image of his childhood memory of David Copperfield appearing astride a motorcycle, waxed chest on display. Only 89 words left. This book is not a book full of magician's secrets. It will not teach you how the tricks are done, and with good reason. Stone recounts his own brush with the tribunal of magicians angry that he'd exposed the secrets of a trick to common eyes. Do they know about the Dover Publishing Company? What this book will give you is a meditation on what performance magic means to Alex, while touching on the nature of hobbies that become obsessions. Ha! I managed that in 199 words. I'm very excited to get to the main course for this week's episode. This is a chat with my dear friend Sarah Shea, who is my co-host on the Pilot House podcast and also a musician that I often perform with. Sarah plays ukulele and washboard. Sarah sat me down a couple of months ago and showed me this incredible film called The Wizard of Speed and Time. It's a 1989 film created by and starring animator Mike Jitlove. It tells the story of an aspiring animator and special effects technician fighting for the chance to make a movie in Hollywood. Sarah, welcome to Strangely and Friends, the podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. It's almost like we're already all set up to record podcasty things together. Literally in my house, yeah. (laughs) We just decided to do this little bit too. So for my listeners who maybe don't know about you, could you just introduce yourself and sort of say the kind of creative things you do? Sure. Uh, My name is Sarah Shea. I'm a writer, musician, and girl about town. That's what it says in my business cards. I'm also a podcaster. Uh, I do a podcast with you, as a matter of fact, called Pilot House. It's a great podcast. I think it's pretty good. Uh, And I, uh, yeah, other than that, I'm mainly a musician. I write uh, nerdy uh, folky ukulele songs that are usually funny but sometimes sad. That's my one of my little catchphrases I use for promotional stuff. It's funny, maybe. And 
I write, but that's less of a thing because it's harder to make money at, so it's harder to spend time on. Uh, but I write fantasy short stories and stuff also. I think that's it. That's pretty much all I do, you know, that's interesting to talk about in a podcast anyway. I have a cat. What else do you want to know? That's great. <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, like, we're such good friends. I love you. And so, Aww. like, hearing you list all the reasons I love you is, is you. just great. Uh, I'm, I'm personally offended by the suggestion that anyone who listens to your podcast wouldn't already know who I am. How dare. <laughs> <laughs> So the, the, the main topic that I want to chat with you about today is this movie that you showed me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm still amazed that I hadn't found it somehow before you showed it to me. Yeah. That it wasn't something I'd been watching since childhood because it, it hits so many buttons for me. Yeah. It's, it's definitely one of those things where you the, the way that the internet is... And the way that we, like, learn about things through osmosis, even if you missed something growing up, a TV show or a movie or something, you expect to have kind of heard people reference it on in social media and movies and TV shows and whatever. Yeah. And this is one of those things that just completely under the radar. People either saw it or they didn't. And if you didn't see it, you've probably never heard of it. Yeah. I, and I don't know why, because it's amazing. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things that, that honestly, I... I can't believe isn't being championed by some well-known director or something like that. Like, yeah, I've never heard someone mention it. Not that I listen to interviews with directors that much, but I've never heard somebody say like, oh, this is this thing that really inspired me when I saw it as a kid or anything like that. Well, it's like one of those things like the, the uh, is it the, the Duffer Brothers, whoever the guys are who are making Stranger Things, mm. when they, I listened to an interview with them and they're like, the Goonies and... Uh, Cujo and it's like they had like a list of eight movies that they had watched a million times as kids that like made them make this thing mm-hmm. and the the Wizard of Speed and Time like doesn't have any modern day champion which I don't get yeah or if the if someone is out there championing it it's someone we have yet to come across because, yeah yeah I have never run into somebody else I don't think I've ever run into someone else who has also seen this um the only reason that I saw it as a kid is my dad worked in video sales when I was, I think, from about, uh, oh gosh, he, 14 years. He stopped working in that industry when I was a junior in high school. So, mm-hmm. so from when I was practically too young to remember until I was almost out of high school, my dad worked in video sales. And so he would just get VHS copies of like trailer tapes. Right. Just like preview copies for him to watch so he knew what he was pitching to the video stores to sell them on. So I've seen a lot of movies that no one else my age has because they they had no access to it or it was just like a random thing that didn't get a big theatrical release or whatever. So I guess I am used to that happening. There's a lot of things I've seen that other mm-hmm. people haven't. But this one definitely... Watching it with you made me realize how weird it was that I'd never run into anyone else who'd you- seen it. Because you were so excited about it. You were so like, how, this is so up my alley. How have I never heard of this? And I'm like, I, I don't know. It's great. This is an auteur film in like the truest sense. 
it is there's so much of one person's vision and yeah. personality and story up yeah. on screen here. Mike Jitlov starred in it, wrote it, directed it, edited it, and it's literally about him. The main character is named Mike Jitlov, and it is a dr- like a, a silly, over the top, dramatized version of his own experience trying to make a movie. It's a movie about a guy trying to make a movie. That is his story of how he tried to make this movie. Like, it's it's a it's it's a, it's like a, a matryoshka of Mike Jitlov. Yeah, and it's like I I said this to you right after we watched it, but like the dude feels like a YouTuber. Like this feels <laughs> like you know like a YouTuber like uh, you know movies with Mikey or, or um, I can't think of anyone in. Uh, uh, Patrick H. Willems kind of did a thing where he made a movie of himself making a movie. Uh, the the Just Right uh, uh, YouTube channel did a video about the movie adaptation where uh, Nicolas Cage played twin brothers. Oh, and- yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's about the experience of the screenwriter yeah. trying to make... It's like if... who Who is the screenwriter? Who, who, who is the person... Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman. It's yeah. like if Charlie Kaufman had been in that instead of Nicolas Cage. Yeah. If Charlie Kaufman had not only written that, but also starred in it, directed it, and it was based on his own real I mean, he life. does write yeah. Nicolas Cage, his character, one of the two characters he plays, yeah. the one who's the real one, is Charlie yeah. Kaufman in the in the movie, right? Right. It's like, this is one extra step because he also plays himself in the movie. And not only that, like, we haven't even touched on the fact that, like, this movie is full of incredible, like, 80s stop motion slash matte painting special effects. Yeah, absolutely chock full. The whole thing is, that's his main thing, that his, his, he is less a writer, a director, an actor than he is an effects guy yeah. and it's all about practical effects stop motion and that kind of thing and so the movie is almost an excuse to have all these segments these sequences of yeah. amazing effects interspersed with scenes shot where they're like telling the story of him trying to make this movie but it's it's, it's so easily this could have been the kind of thing where you go, and yeah, the little bits in between aren't that well acted or that well written or that entertaining. You watch it for the special effects, but that's not true. Right. Both are great. It has this real silly, over-the-top, heightened reality style to those se- sequences that even the sequences where they're telling the stories are also have little bits of effects sprinkled into them. And ridiculous things like the two... There's two characters, like, these absolutely comedic, bumbling crooks. Yeah. Who end up, like, stealing a real cop car with a dog in the back. And, like, but they're dressed as, like, cartoonish, like, Keystone Cops with the big bell-shaped hats that they got from a a, a costume department of a movie. And it's, like... It's so good. But then they end up in a real cop car. And, oh, my gosh, there's so much absolutely silly things that are happening. It, but it's it's so it feels so consistent overall still the style of everything and it's so funny it reminds me of like the early Tim Burton movies yeah. in the way that like even the scenes that don't have to be fantasy yeah are because the whole world that's being created is is off is strange yes. is different so even like they just do things like when he goes to drop off his film to get it developed, he throws it into the thing and there's like a flash of light and then the developed film, like 
those like the the kiosk where his film gets oh yeah yeah you know there's so many fun things like that 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 they'll just throw an effect like he walks into his house one night and his mom is sleeping Mm -hmm. and he's watching her sleep and there's a little effect of her seeing like home movies that shows she's dreaming about his dad who passed away and it's like a little effect that has nothing to do it's not a silly one right and it's not showing off a thing it's just but they're just peppered into the whole movie like that so you you mentioned a few minutes ago that, that you discovered this as a kid. Yeah. And you've liked it into adulthood. And so often when we find these things, you know, there's things that we liked when we were a kid and we still love them as adults, but then we show them to other adults and other adults are like, this, like, what? I, yeah. yeah, I get you, that you thought this was the coolest show. I think Goonies is a really good one for in terms of that because it's so delightful and you can definitely enjoy it as an adult. But I've heard numerous people say... They watch Goonies for the first time as an adult and were like, I do not get it. I saw Goonies for the first time as an adult. Oh, really? I and remember that. I enjoyed it. Yeah. But I don't, it's, yeah, it's yeah, exactly, don't quite I don't it. quite get the, like, the depth of love that it has. Yeah, because there's things that you could love as a kid and then you watch it as an adult and go, good God, what is this garbage pile yeah. and you do not understand you cannot find the enjoyment that you found in it as a child <clears throat> gem and the holograms um but then there's things that you watch as an adult and you still love them but it doesn't translate to someone who, who doesn't have those memories yeah there's, there's definitely different kinds of things with that with that experience but i feel like anybody who didn't like this i would just be like i don't know what to do with you like watching this as an adult yeah. I mean, I was so glad that you loved it as much as you did because I I, I haven't shown this to that many people. It's uh-huh. not one of those things I sit people down and go, you simply must watch this. Right. And I'm realizing now as we're talking that part of the reason not a lot of people have seen it is if they didn't see it at the time, it's hard to come by. The VHS is obviously out of print and it was never released on DVD. Yeah. Mike Jetlove has been trying to get it released on DVD for I think years he has a website and at one point when I checked out his website years ago he had this thing about we're working on getting a DVD release but then it never happened yeah at some point somebody did like a rip of the VHS and put it up online somewhere Mm -hmm. and he kind of gave his blessing that like people can watch it there I'm not mad about it I'm not gonna send the guy cease and desist because the more people who see it maybe the more people who'll be interested in having like an official version of it because it would probably require some work to create a good uh, uh-huh. digital version of it. Um, but God, it should, it should be available. It should be some streaming service should be jumping at the chance to have right. this be a, you know, a Netflix exclusive or I, whatever. I'm floored that like Kino Lorber or uh, like the Warner archive or one of those companies that like, yeah. Those small print runs of like... I want a Criterion Collection (laughs) version of Wizard of Speed and Time. A Criterion Collection of this would just be mind-blowing. Yeah, with interviews with Mike Jitlove and like behind the scenes, uh, like information about how it was made. I I would love to know more about the the true backstory. Obviously, you get some of the backstory in the movie itself, but I would love to know more about which parts were more realistic than others and which parts were left out. Um, I, I would love to know more of that. 
one of the reasons I loved it so much is how uncomfortably angry it is. Oh, yeah. It, Which it is, does not hold back as silly as some of the moments are with the cops, with the crooks, yeah. Justice Keystone cops, and all that shit. There's so many goofy moments, but, like, he gets genuinely angry in the film about... Because it's a lot about how the bureaucracy of Hollywood holds him back from trying to make this movie. Yeah. And he genuinely does get... You're right. Sometimes a little uncomfortable in ways I didn't get when I was a kid. This is one of the things I noticed as an adult where I'm like, wow, it's actually a little, a little unsettling. Uh, some of the ways that he gets uh, yeah. angry. Yeah, for sure. But it, I think this is, this is, I mean. But I'm, I understand it at the same time. Yeah. I'm not a big proponent of auteur theory. Like, I think it's, it's a lot of like, you know, privileged white men sniffing each other's asses. Yeah. <laughs> but. At the same time, I'm a I, in the case of this particular film, I am a little more forgiving of some of the the more dated aspects of it, because I feel like I'm seeing a very honest portrait of a person and their their mental landscape. Yeah, in a way that we so rarely get, and yet when with like today's YouTube culture. I keep drawing the YouTube comparison, but it, it like you see things on YouTube sometimes that are that are attempting that kind of level of authenticity. It's mm. like I saw this movie; it made me really mad. Here's why this movie made me really mad, and you're gonna see me petting my cat in my real house as I tell you why I'm mad. Yeah, and like this is the kind of thing that we're so used to seeing now, but we didn't really get to see back in the the 80s. Yeah, and. Like, I think that's why this is such a fascinating time capsule of, like, that time. Yeah, yeah. What Another thing I just thought of while you were uh-huh. talking about the dated aspects of it is one thing that if you watch this not having... If you weren't thinking while watching it, this was released in 1989. Yeah. And it's about his experiences probably for the 10 years leading up to that. Yeah. Um, it might come off as a little bit anti-union for uh-huh. example, because he's so fed up with all the bureaucracy right. of all the different unions involved and how much that stuff can kind of, um, in Hollywood in particular, all that stuff can kind of constrain a filmmaker, an independent filmmaker. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to shoot things and they don't have permits places and they're trying to like hide and he's trying to sign up for things and, and do things the proper way, but he's getting stymied by all of this red tape. But like, if you weren't kind of going, okay, it was a different time and it's specifically about Hollywood. I could see some people watching it being like, what the fuck? This guy's anti-union? What the hell? But yeah. like, it's not like he's a, you know, he's not like a scab or something. It's, yeah. it's He's frustrated with the way that this system is set up. And I've heard a lot of other people get frustrated specifically with the Hollywood model of how all that stuff works. Well, it, it's, I think a lot of his frustration in this film and the story of the character kind of trying to make his own movie mm-hmm. is that if you're of a certain echelon, say a, a Spielberg or a Kubrick or whatever, none of that stuff matters. Yeah. There are people who just smooth that road for you and you do get to just be creative and yeah. play and whatever. I was, I was just talking with some filmmaker friends last night that uh, I haven't seen it, but the movie eyes wide shut at the end, Tom Cruise and another actor are playing pool mm-hmm. and it's like a seven minute scene. And apparently while they were making the film, Kubrick shot that seven minute scene for three weeks. So we're talking like 10 hour shooting days every day for three weeks because for one seven minute for one scene. seven minute scene, because that sounds like Kubrick. <laughs> yeah. 
But he was able to do that. Yeah. He could do whatever he wanted. He could he could engage his creativity to that level because to a wankery degree. Yeah. But like when you when you hear stories like that and you're just trying to like I don't know film a scene where a spaceship flies over and then like there's some aliens come out of it or whatever yeah. like Mike Jetloff is trying to do in this. Yeah. It would be enraging. Yeah. Like I, I feel that that I think that's one of one of the reasons I connected so deeply with this on an emotional level is that I feel that now I'm a, a small level creator. I have a few people who throw money at me to do things, but then I watch a video of like some 16 year old pop star who has a budget of two hundred thousand dollars to just like have people film her riding around in a cab with her friends throwing glitter out the window or whatever. Yeah, and it's like why are you like why does this person get like all of this, everything smooth for them and yeah. handed to them when there are people. And I'm not even saying it should be me. I'm, I'm just saying like on behalf of my wider friend group of artists that there are way more creative people with way more creativity and heart that are slaving away in obscurity Yeah, that aren't having the road smooth for them. And like a lot of that rage that I see in this movie is this guy just being like, I just want to make stuff. Yeah. Just let me make stuff. Like he's even made the stuff already and then people yeah. won't show it to the 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 yeah. public. Yeah. Just trying to get the stuff he's already made seen by anybody is this endurance trial. Yeah. I, I mean the the scene where they're just trying to shoot him running out of a cave. Like it's just him in the costume, the wizard wizard costume. He's just trying to run out of a cave. It's like a 3 second shot and they are Desperately trying to do this, and then it starts raining, and then a helicopter flies overhead, and they have to pull a tarp over the car, and they're just, like, desperately trying to shoot this, like, three-second shot. That That's all they need, and they're, everything is getting in their way, when, yeah, Cooper can spend three weeks to shoot a seven-minute yeah. scene of two people playing pool. Yeah, it's... I, I absolutely agree. It's it's the level of disparity between those two experiences is something I feel with making music and various other art things that I do on the reg. So maybe that's one of the reasons that uh, I've clicked with it so much as an adult as well. So for someone who hasn't seen this movie, like we've sort of kind of bounced all over talking about bits of it and everything like that. But if you had to convince someone to, to see this movie, like what is your, your big sell on it? Cause like we're friends and you basically just sat me down you're like, check this out. But like, if you had to sort of promote this movie in you know, one or two tweets, that really kind of sold it. Do you have sort of the, have you sort of found that summary? Uh, no, I don't. I mean, I don't have one ready to go because uh -huh. I I haven't really pitched this movie to a lot of people, partially because the only answer, if they're like, well, I'm sold, is okay, come to my house because I'm not letting, I actually own two VHS copies of this. Uh -huh. um, one was my childhood copy and uh -huh. one is one that a friend of mine who I'd pitched the movie to, found it at a video store that was going out of business and was selling all their stock. He bought it and gave it to me. Uh, neither of those VHS tapes are ever leaving my house. Even if somebody was like, I have a VCR, I'm still not letting them borrow either of mine. Bring it to my house. Yeah, well, one of them is eventually going to break and I will need the other one as a backup. Like, <laughs> uh, But, you know, be part of the reason, yeah, I, it's, it's hard to spend the energy pitching people this movie when they then can't watch it. I have been thinking for a long time about having a movie night at my house. Uh-huh. 
possibly even a regular recurring thing for our friends because I have other movies that f fit the same kind of criteria for me. I love it. I feel like it has something people would really enjoy, but the only way for them to watch it realistically is to come to my house and watch my VHS of it. Um, so I don't really, but I guess if I was going to try to sell someone, if you just put a person uh -huh. in front of me, any person, the thing I would hit the strongest is the practical effects because that's something I know a lot of people really love and don't get a lot in movies anymore. Even directors who are really committed to using practical effects whenever possible uh -huh. still occasionally, because of budget reasons, or, or just like the realistic aspects of, of shooting a movie, they have to rely on CGI. I mean, in Brothers Bloom, Ryan Johnson really, really wanted the train sequences to all be practical and uh -huh. just the cost of the train and of shooting while the train was moving, which just in and ended up being way more expensive than just see, you know, right. It, 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 and putting countryside going by while they shook a train. I think that's what they ended up doing. I might be misremembering that exact thing, but like they just end up not having the budget for it. So even people who are really committed to it occasionally have to rely on CGI to make the movie happen. And this movie I mean, it does use some computer effects, but like 1989 computer right. effects, you know. So I think that's what the, the point that I would hit the strongest is that it's got amazing, cool stop motion and practical effects throughout the entire film. And the second point, now that we've had this conversation, would be it's about somebody just desperately trying to make a thing and share it with the world and how hard that is. And I think for especially a lot of our friends, that would ring uh, or, or hit a chord with them as well. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me about The Wizard of Speed and Time, Sarah. Thank you for being the first person to ever ask me to talk about it at any length at all. <laughs> so as we're... I have other movies we can talk about uh, in the future on your podcast. Just let me know. I can show you some of the weird shit I have in my collection. We can talk about Meet the Raisins. <laughs> we can talk about the 1987 Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It was made by the Seattle Children's Theater for... Uh, like Como or King Five TV or something like that. I got weird stuff, my friend. <laughs> just, just call me later when you run out of topics for this podcast. Perfect. <laughs> you can find out more about Sarah Shea by heading over to sarahshea.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-S-H-A-Y.com. I also highly recommend heading over to her bandcamp, sarahshea.bandcamp.com, and listening to her music. I also happen to play bass on her most recent album, so go check that out. Oh my goodness, I almost forgot. Sarah would kill me if I didn't mention our podcast. Head over to pilothousepodcast.com to find out about the podcast I record with Sarah. We do an episode about every two weeks when the season a season is running, and we have a season running right now, so check it out. Uh, it's Pilot House Podcast, and you can just find that on iTunes or Stitcher or any of the places where pods are cast. I don't know if we're on Himalaya. Is that a thing yet? Does any does anybody who who like doesn't hear ads for Himalaya use Himalaya? Tweet me or, or something. I'd love to know if Himalaya is actually a thing. Here's a thought. Normally, I would be using this section of the podcast to proffer some musings on a random topic I've had in mind. This week I'll keep it relatively short, however, and just give you a little insight into why I'm launching this podcast. I've had so many diffuse interests, and until now I've not really found the best way to join them all into a single project. I enjoy reading books and watching films and discussing those things, but it, it's more than that. 
I love watching people express themselves, digging into what makes them tick. I've been so blessed with such a startling variety of friends, and I hope I can feature a few of them on this podcast. I guess if you wanted to sum up this whole thing in a single sentence, it would be sharing the diverse interests and acquaintances of an autodidactic accordionist. There's some alliteration for you. I need more coffee. Okay, Fright, have you heard about King of Thieves? This 2018 film stars Michael Caine, Jim Broadbent, Michael Gambon, Ray Winston, and Charlie Cox. You know, the guy from Daredevil. It's about a bunch of retired criminals in their 70s reuniting for one last diamond heist. Well, not Charlie Cox. I mean, he's like Charlie Cox age, which is like, I don't know, 30? If you think that setup sounds like it's going to be a comedy, you'd be wrong. A comedy this is not. To call it a drama would imply that more serious things will be happening, but they aren't. Despite the flaws, though, I found this a fascinating film. It's based on the real-life heist of the Hatton Garden safety deposit box robbery. The difficulty with this film is that I believe it follows real-life events rather closely, which leads to a less-than-satisfying story. Real life is not tidy, nor does it have clear beginnings, middles, or endings. Still, this film really shines when it's just about a bunch of old guys feeling young again, if for only one more time. Michael Caine is great as always, but the surprise of this film is Jim Broadbent, who plays a cheerful old codger who is capable of exploding into intense physical violence at any moment. If you like heist films or one last score films, this flick might be a good one for you. I'm not saying it's good, but at least now you've heard about it. Song of the Week Golodny, the Russian Whale Yesterday I logged into Twitter for my weekly Has anyone tagged me and offered me a book deal yet? Check. Nobody had, but there was something interesting. An author friend of mine named AJ Sykes had tagged me in a comment about a news story. It seems some Norwegian scientists found a whale with a camera and some other equipment strapped to its back with a harness. There was Russian writing on it, but when asked, their Russian counterparts denied ever using harnesses on whales. At some point, I'm going to try to research that story. However, without reading anything else, I grabbed my accordion and wrote this song. Special thanks to at AJ Sykes underscore author on Twitter for bringing what is clearly the most important news story of the year to my attention. Here's the song. To the north, under the ice, deep under cover, I swim. A fugitive cetacean hiding from the agents of the Kremlin. I'm Golodny, the Russian whale. 
It shall always be song and songs, even when your children are old. Go lonely, the Russian whale, cameras throb to my back. Beware my fins and flukes of fury when I begin my attack. Other nations searched to perfect the bodies of men. Russia knew best, looked to the sea, seeing perfection within. Whales are much smarter, swim deeper and farther than men. Those pesky rotters, secret missions, no problem for us. So sneaky, neath the water, the lonely, the Russian whale. My story shall always be told. It shall be sung in all the old songs, even when your children are old. The lonely, the Russian whale. of fury when I begin my attack. Masters were cruel, wicked men seeking to use me for ill. They taught me to fight, to kill men on sight. Then they hid all the krill. Said Golodny, it's time for you to go fight and kill the motherland's foes. At that moment I knew I had to break out in a raging breach. I Utility belt hung with gear leapt up toward the ceiling above. I broke up my cage and I smashed down the stairs, graceful as any weighted dove. I escaped the lab, rode down the hill, and broke through the ice in the bay. So now I swim free, writing earth wrongs. I do it to this very day. I'm Shall always be sung in songs, even when your children are old. Lonely, the Russian whale, camera strapped to my back. Beware my fins and fruits of fury when I begin my attack. <laughs>
1000 Harris Avenue, Bellingham, Washington, 98225. I look forward to hearing from you. Well, that about does it for this week's episode of Strangely and Friends. This was our very first episode, episode one, hopefully one of many. This will be coming out weekly. I'm I'm actually sort of angling for Tuesdays for this to be coming out. If you really enjoyed this and you just can't wait to get more, the episode zero of this podcast was sort of my rough draft as I worked out kind of the style and how the segments would all fit together is up on my Patreon for my Patreon backers. You can head over to patreon.com slash strangely if you want to hear more of this type of show. Special thanks to our guest this week, Sarah Shea, for speaking with me about that amazing film, The Wizard of Speed and Time. Go check it out. I, I can't guarantee that there's a legal way to watch it, but I believe it's on like YouTube or Vimeo or something, so uh, have a look. And thank you so much for listening to the very first episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. Strangely and Friends, the podcast, is produced at Sonic Suitcase Studios in fiscally responsible Fairhaven, Washington. Sonic Suitcase Studios is located in the Morgan Block Building, part of the People's Land Trust. This podcast is made possible by my incredible supporters on Patreon. Check out patreon.com strangely to find out how you can help me make more of whatever this is. Strangely and Friends, the podcast is a Herringbone Society production. As much as I love a long shaggy dog joke, I'm actually going to do a very short one because it's just the only one I can think of right now. And it's incredibly dumb, but that's All what right. I like. Why wasn't the lifeguard able to save the hippie from drowning? Why? Because he was too far out, man. <laughs> Credits. <laughs>